it is slightly weird that you are the audio expert and yet I am the one who is with the microphone setting all of this up. Yeah, you, well, no, you know more about this than I do. Number one, I'm far from an expert. I'm like, I'm also not the presenter, so it's like, you know, it's your kind of thing, you know. Right, but let's face it, I'm definitely not the brains behind it. Right. I don't see why not. <sighs> so, let's kick off. People, the podcast where we talk to people about the places that matter to them, which is a lot of peas to say in one sentence. Um, I am Finn, and joining me today is Harry. Hello. How are you, Harry? I'm grand. Um, Harry, tell us about you. Uh, well, I don't know where to start, really. Um, where to begin? <laughs> no. I'm a musician, uh, born and raised in Edinburgh. I still live here, I study here, and I'll be here for God knows how long, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. So, therefore, would you say that you were from Edinburgh as much as that can be the case? Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely say that. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's where I feel like I'm, I'm most from, uh, I do have uh, German, Irish, and Polish heritage, so I'm attached to that. But um, overall, I'm very much an Edinburghian. From from Edinburgh, I I've, have Edinburghian down here as well. I've, I don't. I don't know if it's right. Let's just go with it. There isn't. I don't think there really is an official term for it. It's like it's Glaswegian, Dundonian, Aberdonian stuff, but like Edin baby. <laughs> If you like. I don't know. Edinburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh. Never heard that. No, I've never. You're telling me that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Oh, uh, that's brilliant. <laughs> right, with that in mind, I suppose it's quite obvious as a question to ask, but where are we going to talk about today? Uh, Edinburgh. Lovely. So, ladies and gentlemen listening, this is Harry, and we are talking today about Edinburgh. imagine given uh given that many of the listeners will probably be edinburgh or scotland based as a lot of the sort of promotion that i'll be doing for this podcast is scotland based that yeah. this question will kind of seem pointless to them but there will be a lot of listeners hopefully in different parts of the world who may have heard of edinburgh and heard of scotland but may not necessarily know where it is so where would you describe edinburgh as being uh, geographically, Edinburgh's uh, on the east coast of the lowlands of Scotland, uh, in what is called the Central Belt between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, well, it's to say really, <laughs> whereas Edinburgh, you know, it's like 
It's uh, south Scotland, east, but not too south, not borders. You know. Not too south, not too east. No, not too middle, just kind of lowlands. Just kind of the Goldilocks location, really. Um, and then from London, it's pretty much like, just head north and eventually you get there. <laughs> yeah. Not that we care about London, meh. English. We're, I should peek behind the curtains and just let listeners know that we are recording this the day that uh, the Labour Party, the centre-left party here in the UK, have announced that they will back another election, which of course has uh, has thrown up all kinds of stuff as to what that actually means. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about politics, we're here to talk about Harry. Yeah. So, if you. Harry, <laughs> sure. have, your, have your family always been edinburgh based uh not always no um my mum was born and raised in bradford uh she moved here 86 i think it was uh my dad was from glasgow uh not quite sure when he moved here like around the same time early 90s um but yeah um me and my brother were um Raised here. I think my brother was te- my brother was technically born in Glasgow, but um, we were both like you know, in in, in natives. Um, and so neither so neither of your parents were specifically sort of born and raised in Edinburgh or no, anything. No, no, no. But but despite that, you you still feel like a pure. And again, I have this written down, but this word may be wrong. Edinburghian, or do you feel like? your diversity and the different roots that you have is very much part of your identity or do you feel a bit of both? Um, it's a good question um, because I do feel I feel a strong connection to Edinburgh and for being Scottish in general but um, I, I sometimes have a bit of like uh, I dip into like northern expressions from my mum uh, and we've got like you know connections there and I feel quite German as well uh, and Polish uh, on my mum's side and Irish on my dad's side so a bit of a mix but overall Scottish with some dots here and there you know I've been wanting to like I've been trying to learn German for a while uh, I wanted to move there in southern Berlin like last year two years ago um, yeah so it's all good that's quite interesting and, and do you feel like that that's a very specific pull that you have to those roots. Is that is that kind of generally how you describe that feeling, or is it just that Germany happens to be a country that you're very interested in, or? Well, it's just um, it's all like the kind of the family connection. But even though uh, there isn't any like direct family living there anymore, like uh, on my mum's side, like her like dad's cousins and stuff there in Poland. Um, but I don't know. I just always felt more kind of a bit close to Germany than Poland. But you know, I still love Poland. I'm still here for you, Poland. Have you <laughs> Have you ever visited Poland? Yeah, many times. Uh, visited Germany many times, and I think Ireland less times. Um, but yeah, they're all still great to visit. That's fantastic. It's just I obviously I think about this a lot as well as as someone who's. British and Sri Lankan and Canadian and has been to all those different places but hasn't particularly spent a lot of time living in, in Sri Lanka or Canada. It does it it gets quite complicated quite quickly. But yeah. I guess it's it's nice to know that those roots are there. 
Yeah, it's, um, a, it's just kind of like a feeling, isn't it? Yeah, and I yeah. guess it's also it's also a reminder that you're in life. You're never sort of one thing. You yeah. you are this collage of different things and experiences and parts of your your own history that kind of merge into one. I guess. Yeah, it's true. Um, you say you're a musician. So when did you start playing music? Oof. Uh, I would say. Um, it's kind of started when I was eight, I think. Uh, um, keyboard was my first instrument. Uh, yeah, I started on keyboard when I was eight, then guitar. So that would be more. 2007, eight? Hopefully. No. <laughs> Don't know. Because I'm, old, I'm older than that. <laughs> Not that much older, but what what was the age you would say it happened? Uh, I was like, around? I was a bit a bit younger than ten, but like around eight to ten, I was like you know, getting into music. I had a lot of phases of uh, things like I was really into like Doctor Who and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, music was the one that stuck, and I've always been very like I don't know, I did drama when I was younger, and uh, I never really, like played instruments from like a stupidly young age. I was always kind of like, I always really enjoyed it, you know, um, hearing stuff around the house and all that. Um, yeah, so I started like uh, when I was eight to ten, and then I was like, I did like a couple of lessons, but mainly I've, you know, I've, I kind of just figured it out by playing it by myself and playing with others. You know, I didn't really do that many formal lessons. Uh, and that's probably why I haven't been as attached to one instrument, you know. And that's why I kind of developed into a songwriter, composer. Definitely, I'd say more composer. Like, I don't really write many, like, songs, I suppose, you know, quite <laughs> instrumental. Um, yeah, so I just kind of... And then that was probably when I was 12 that I think I started writing songs properly. Um, I just kind of went from there. And... When you started, was it a sort of natural curiosity that you had to to kind of to play an instrument or to get into it, or was it, um, for example, I I have a background in theatre. The reason I went to my first drama session was because my mum basically said, "Look, you need to take something artistic." And yeah, yeah, I just kind of went along to that. Was was there a similar thing with with you? Um... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, it's hard to pinpoint these things. But all I know is, like, uh, for me, it's my mum as well, who basically just, like, forced me to do all these things, and absolutely, it always works out, you know, just like, and I don't know what I would have done if <laughs> she hadn't done that. Things like, you know... Mums out there, we appreciate it. Yeah, respect, respect <laughs> mums, we love you mums. Um, yeah, so it's just it's things like, you know, my mum saying, like, uh, go to that guitar group, and then like I played a bit and then even if I don't stay it was like right I now know why I don't want to do that I'm like playing like classic guitar stuff and then you know I kind of like no I kind of want to learn it and then like you know uh, uh, she and my dad like you know buy me like recording things and to get me started you know or to like um, a big thing which uh, I'm assuming we'll segue into was uh, Totally Sound. Yes, we are definitely segueing <laughs> into that. We're going to segue into that well <laughs> what better time to start than now. My mum basically, like, uh, she took me along to, like, the, like a little, uh, well, I think it was a trial thing. I think I just went along one day uh, before I started high school, and then I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, should I stay? You know, it's, like, a bit scary, those people. 
and then she basically like, no, you're going back, you know. <laughs> uh, when you know it totally worked out uh, for the best, because then I met like everyone, not everyone I know in music now, but like all my kind of a good deal of my friends and connections in music now was like they went to Totally Sound, mm. you know, uh, like my bandmates in AVU, uh, Mr. Ollie Talbot, uh, then I can go on, us. and you, us. Um, uh, of course, that's so many, so many great, yeah, so many great things. Just for people who have no idea what Totally Sound was mm-hmm. or is, is it still going? Yes. Okay, it is yeah. still going. Okay, so what's what is Totally hopefully Sound? Ne- hopefully, it never ends. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so too. But what is Totally Sound? Uh, totally Sound is a youth music project based in Edinburgh on near Southbridge. Southbridge Resource Centre mm. is called like an old school um, on Infirmary Street, big massive building, um, and it's like very cheap to get in. It's like I think it's like two pound for like it runs every Saturday, um, and it's like filled with like you know rehearsal rooms, uh, there's a studio there, they do lessons. You know, it's just I can't even think now. Probably should have done a bit more pre- pre- preparation. <laughs> We're keeping it real here at Passport yeah, yeah, People. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm speaking from the heart, heart and the mind. Um, but it was very cool because you, you'd go into one room and there'd be a bunch of people writing songs and mm-hmm. then you'd go into another room and three sort of musicians just would be jamming to yeah, whatever. Yeah, it, just, it was very like community, community-based and just meeting other people, like rehearsing groups finding new people to collaborate with it just it was honestly it's perfect when you're that age you know starting out music and I was very kind of like you know I was a bit kind of uh, not that keen to go in but it really like it totally like boosts your confidence and self-esteem and just this is what you know I should be doing and it, that's that's what made me realise was like going there I was like oh, this is what I want to do and that's kind of after that that's when I started writing music I think and how old were you when you started going? like 11 I think oh wow yeah 11 yeah yeah because when we met you were about 15 by that yeah point. I think so so I was, uh, yeah I've been there a while um, <laughs> yeah it's funny to think yeah I think that was yeah because it was just before I started high school so it must have been yeah. 11 yeah it, around that it yeah. would have been but I mean that's fascinating to hear and you so just to kind of to go back a little bit on something you said earlier you were self-taught on many of these instruments uh, as yeah, much as, pretty as could I mean, be? like, there's... I, I don't want it to seem like a, I kind of existed as, like, a, you know, musical genius anomaly or anything. Like, it, I, I couldn't have done what I did to, like, you know, learn anything about music without everyone else around me, you know. Um, my family, friends, and people who kind of taught me things here and there. Listen to music, you know. So it wasn't just like I just swatted on, like, guitar books and anything or piano books or whatever it's like because I just I didn't learn that way you know and as I said I've never like been drawn to one instrument so I couldn't have just done like the exams and like learned in that kind of traditional way it was just kind of surrounding myself with music you know my whole life or at least from a young age um yeah no, it's, just, it's crazy to listen to because I mean certainly 
from the musicians I know, so many people went down that that exam route yeah. and you know had a very sort of regimented system. And Absolutely. I don't, I don't necessarily think either way is wrong, but it's just no, it's, it's interesting to see how different things work for for different people. Absolutely, yeah, it's just whatever whatever you feel like doing. But unfortunately, like a lot of uh, kids are pressured into these things. It's like if the parents or teachers or whatever think that is the best route for them, like the going down a kind of pressurized exam route mainly on the classical side and then they don't get to just something is this what I want to be doing but fortunately like, um, my parents were like, very supportive of that and like they just said like whatever you want to do do it go for it yeah would you say that you are an experiential learner in that regard where you just you pick things up from just doing it and seeing how it goes basically I guess so um, I did I read a lot as well and like read a lot, listened to stuff and, you know, picked things up that as well but like a lot of it was the experience based and just playing with other people and yeah, but both, you know you know, cause, because I've always lived in a very kind of like well connected city it's not like a, you know, grew up very in a rural environment where it'd been hard to like kind of get out there and like, you know get things going, you know yeah so I'm quite lucky in that regard I'd say and that is the perfect answer to segue into the next question I have, which is, which was also the the totally sound segue, which is, how did Edinburgh, as a city and the people in it and the rough streets, <laughs> influence the the music that you made? Um, how did Edinburgh influence my music? Um, it didn't always. Um, the things that I kind of used to write about were kind of. Whatever, really. Yeah, it wasn't really influenced by anything. It just sort of they just came. Yeah, it's just there's mainly like stuff I was listening to that I kind of wanted to copy. Uh, <laughs> uh, nothing was like maybe it was subconscious, you know. Um, but yeah, the majority of stuff I was writing wasn't really like based on like my the environment or like the city or anything. It's just. And do you think that that's a, a conscious thing or that it's just, it, that was just kind of the way that it turned out? I think or? it was just the way it turned out. But um, now that I'm, uh, I've gone a bit older, um, I'm kind of writing more about these kind of things. And like, and now you've got like hindsight to look back on stuff hmm. and uh, like get some nostalgia in there for like places you grew up and you know, hmm. places you're living in now and what that means to you. Um, and this kind of leads to the next question from your kind of the experience and knowledge that you've had of the Edinburgh music scene is there an Edinburgh sound and this is kind of two break off questions which is if there is what is it Mm -hmm. and if there isn't why isn't there it's a good question I mean I think everybody thinks that they have own sound and they might do but in Edinburgh's case it's sort of it's a bit more universal I think it's hard to pinpoint what its musical identity is like because it sort of exists in it's more of like the urban environments of like the central belt and it connects with Dundee Aberdeen you know it's, it's like that's that kind of the coastal urban sound of Scotland that's you know has more of a sound but like only in the kind of pop rock sphere I'd say because 
going further than that, it's kind of hard to differentiate, like, you know, traditional music, folk music, jazz, classical, it's, yeah, it's quite diffuse, so. Basically, there are a lot of different bands doing a lot of different things. Yeah, I think uh, it's, Emma's got less of a sound and more just, like, um, different to Glasgow, different to, like, Dundee, it's, like, in terms of venues and size and, like, audiences, you know, and can you can you go a little bit more into that in terms of why and, and how that is? Well, sometimes Edinburgh is kind of overshadowed by Glasgow. I mean, in a lot of ways. <laughs> Glasgow is like the bigger city. It's more like a big, sprawling, urban jungle. Uh, more, uh, it's closer to like the likes of Manchester, even London. Um, so there's more room for like venues and stuff to be Just happening everything. yeah, yeah. Know, it's like a big city and Edinburgh's a big city too but um, not on the same scale it's more it keeps in touch more with its past and traditions um, and a lot of times that means there isn't room for like new stuff to be happening yeah and that's very much the that's what I think the very much view of like the councils are it's like um, hanging on to like the old stuff and that being said, though, uh, they like the new stuff, but only if it's kind of only if it generates money. I think. Right. If it generates a lot of money, like property development, and then the kind of the grassroots music venues get pushed out of the way, so there is an ongoing battle with that. You know. I'm just trying to think what exactly that means in terms of the link between new music and property development. Just, you know, as I said, it's like uh, the venues get closed down, they get kind of uh, mistreated in a way of like, you know, licensing issues. Um, and there have been a lot of efforts to like um, stop this, obviously, like the massive Safely Thwart campaign, the fight to Safely Depot involved in that. Um, Studio 24. Studio 24, yeah, that shut down. Um, so yeah, it's a big problem in Edinburgh and in a lot of um, these cities. Um, do you think it? Do you think it feels inevitable that it's just going to get worse, or do you think there is enough of a backlash against it that the time may come where the tide turns? It's hard to say. Um, I'm I'm an, far from an expert in all this. Um, I'm just kind of going with things I've seen. Um, my experience so far but it is a difficult thing to overcome but it has we have seen a very strong community in in Leith and Edinburgh who have been fighting this thing but it's hard to say when you know such big councils involved and companies and money it's kind of so like a David and Goliath situation you know mm. And but also how does it make you feel because you said right at the beginning of, of our recording that you can see yourself being in Edinburgh for the foreseeable future. And you're also in a position where you're, you're developing music and you're developing your music career. Does it worry you? That, Absolutely. It, you know, there may come a point in the very, very near future where there just aren't venues for you to go and sort of put your, put your stuff out there and no, meet absolutely. fellow artists. Absolutely. Because if there wasn't places like Sneaky Pete's or Opium, Henry Cellar Bar, 
you know, match house, the list goes on. If there wasn't places like that where like brands could start somewhere, even well, totally sound is a good example of that. Even though it's not really like a venue, it's like a, it's still like kind of a pre precursor to like venues because it was always like the bands would form there, mm. totally sound. They try out the music in front of the audiences, and then maybe they like kind of they get a bit step up and they start playing the actual big boy venues. <laughs> big boy venues. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, a good transition stage. So with that kind of wiped out, I'm not saying it will be wiped out. Um, it's just it's under a lot of strain at the moment. That kind of the, the that world. The yeah. Um. And on the subject of Leith, uh, the Proclaimers are one of the most famous Edinburgh acts. Um, you could say that. I think they're from, they're kind of from Fife and Edinburgh. I think they grew up in like Octomokti. But they're, they're they from... they like to bang the Leith drum all the time. So I guess oh, yeah. The, the question I'm going for is they. I'm, the rest of my question is they put Leith on the wider map. Yeah. What what is Leith? And what makes it stand out from the rest of Edinburgh? What is Leith? Baby, don't hurt me. Leith <laughs> <laughs> um, is um, neighbourhood. I think you could call it a neighbourhood. I'd a call it a neighbourhood or district a, a of Edinburgh. District of for a long time. Region. <laughs> region, city. Zone. The People's Republic of Leith uh, was. <laughs> well, it is kind of its own place. Well, it was. Uh, I think. I don't know. I'm not going to go into the history too much because I know very little about it. But I do know that uh, Leith was its own kind of town. And then in 1920, 1922, um, it became a part of which I think was against the actual vote of Leith. I oh, think it really? Was, I think it kind of just. It was kind of just absorbed into usurped, Yeah. Yeah. And that's. I think that's why. Leith Theatre was built. I think it was sort of say, you know, sorry for just kind of taking you into our city, but here's a here's a nice theatre. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, don't quote me on that. I'm just I think that's what happened was like Leith was its own town. I know that much, and there is still a boundary you can see. Um, like oh, a sign. I didn't know that. Yeah, down Leith Walk uh, and the pub, the Beer House. So like say that's where the boundary between Leith and Edinburgh. Oh, yeah, gotta go check that out. Yeah. Uh, so it has also, it has always had its own unique identity because of that, you know. It's very large. If it is a, indeed a neighbourhood, it's a very big neighbourhood. It's basically a, a third of Edinburgh or something like that. Mm. Nah, probably not. But you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's the most it's a dense. I think it's the most densely populated area of Edinburgh, and they're just the most populous as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just it's a very strong community there. Um, you know, everyone kind of comes together and supports things like Leith Depot, Leith Walk, Leith Theatre, um, and other things I can't name. And what what makes Leith different from the rest of Edinburgh, would you say? Um, I think it's just, it's sort of like an alternative to uh, the very centralised culture of Edinburgh, like Old Town, New Town. It's sort of like a kind of new... It's becoming a new kind of groovy place. Um, people open like coffee shops and all that. The argument for gentrification is also there, but I think as long as it is kind of 
accessible and inviting. I don't see a problem with it. You know, it's nice to have nice places. It's just as long as it's quite inclusive, I'd say, you know, and doesn't alienate the locals. So you're not one of these people when it, where when it comes to talking about gentrification, the moment the first signs come, you start thinking, oh, hang on, I can see where this is going. No, I mean, um, what I don't want is, like, uh, the locals, like, local pubs to be shut down to make way for, like, groovy hipster pubs or whatever. Um, I, the, the, Bloody I think, hipster pubs. <laughs> Leith, Leith, I think Leith definitely has a good balance of it now. Um, it's not becoming overrun, you know. It's not becoming overrun by, like, outside people, like, coming in, like, rich businesses. It's definitely a good balance, and I hope that kind of continues, you know, between, like, you know... Yeah, it's sort of like, you could argue it's like a class thing, because um, Leith was, like, historically and always been, like, a very working-class area, but um, it's kind of recently just seen a kind of new developments there, and a lot of people moving in, a lot of students moving in there, well, do you also? I'm just, I'm just curious. Do you not? Because we've obviously we've just come from talking about the situation with uh, with emerging venues and sort of venues where emerging artists could be and do their work getting shut down by the council in order yeah. to make room for sort of big money making property developments. Yeah, yeah. Do you not look at the situation with Leith? And even though maybe it's not necessarily happening now. The Leith, which for a long time had this reputation, reputation as maybe being a bit of a dangerous area, mm. you know, a bit kind of, you know, not really Edinburgh. And now there are more sort of hipster pubs and hipster coffee shops that are coming in. Are you not nervous that the next step of that is, well, more people are going to want to live there because it's by the Firth, there are good transportation links, there are, you know, nice pubs and cafes and restaurants to go to, and all of a sudden... All that, all the same patterns will will start sort of making themselves known. It's a possibility. Um, yeah, it's a possibility. Who's to say, really? Um, because yeah, the more attraction and popularity a place gets, the more likely you know councils will you know take notice of that and act upon it. But. Um, I don't really see what could happen there because it is already extremely densely, densely populated. I don't know what could happen when, like, places get knocked down or whatever. That's what they're kind of, that's what they're planning uh, on Forleith Walk, shutting down the shops and building not too, you know, cost accessible right. property. I think that's the I mean, problem. I would love to hear any, any property developers out there who are planning on building costs. Uh, accessible property. Please, uh, please get in contact. I'm quite curious. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just as long as as. Um... No, I don't know. It's difficult to say. I'm, I'm not into you know. Urban planning. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know about it. I'm again, just, I'm I, just kind of going with like what I see. I, I don't want to bang the gentrification drum too hard because this is not what we're here to do. But I find I find this a very interesting argument. 
to be having because very similarly to you i've i've heard a lot of people talk about gentrification as this absolutely terrible thing and should never be done and it's really terrible that communities hearts are getting ripped out and i i completely see that argument and i am Mm-hmm. One of the most anti-capitalists taking over the world, anti-corporation people that you'll ever find. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I guess the point that I'm making is you take somewhere like Hackney in northeast London, for example. 20, 30 years ago, the people who were London residents at the time told me, you, you never went to Hackney mm-hmm. because it was just so dangerous. Yeah. And there was quite, you know, there was quite a threat to, to your safety and your health and whatever from, from going there. And now it's a very popular area. Now there are a lot of people who have bought property there. Mm. Um, you know, various new lines are planning to run through the area. And, you know, I guess I see a lot of parallels with, with Leith, where the tram is being extended to go down to, to Ocean Terminal. That's true, yeah. And, um, you know, new shops coming in. And I guess, I don't know, it's interesting thing because on the one hand I don't think gentrification is bad I just think too much gentrification I think it's bad I don't mind as long as it's done with respect and care for the community in which is you know the existing community there is um, included and valued just as much and it's not just chasing the money and you know people coming in you know and that's sometimes a problem with the Ember Festival which a lot of people have complained about and brought up, wherein it can be, like, rich, and, well, not rich, but, like, it usually it's, like, rich companies and uh, promoters and businessmen coming up, usually from London, and sort of invading the city a bit. Mm. And it's, like, there's not a lot of representation for Edinburgh. It's just sort of, like, a vessel, mm. a host, which is... You know, all very well and good, but we're kind of like, you know, pushed it aside a bit and just while well, everyone else comes in and just descend the world the same as an Indra. This is an interesting question, actually. I mean, I, I haven't written anything down for this, but what are your feelings around the Edinburgh Festival? Do you, do you appreciate that it's going on and, and you quite like having it all together? Or are you getting to the point as someone who's lived in this city and experienced many of them where you're a little bit annoyed at the way that the city's kind of taken advantage of? Or It's a bit of both. Um... I do like it. Um, I just wish it would stop kind of going out of control, you know. And everything I was saying before about how it's not the biggest of cities and we're kind of like being forced into like a very old town. <laughs> it's not like the new town sort of like, it's sort of taken consideration. Um, but it's very much, it's just unhealthy. The way it's mm. been continuing, and with like the kind of swarming of Airbnbs cropping up. Um, so, so, just to give a little bit of context for people who may have heard of the Edinburgh Festival but don't actually know what it is, how how did the fringe get get started? So, what it was, I think, was <laughs> good start of sentence. <laughs> there was the Edinburgh Festival, Edinburgh International Festival, and then the fringe came after that. Yeah, I think the festival started in nineteen forty seven, and the fringe sort of arrived after that. I'm not yeah. really sure. No, I th- I think that's right. Ten twenty years though. I can't I I can't pinpoint the date specifically, yeah. but it'll it'll be something like that. 
Um, the, yeah, the idea was that the fringe was on the fringe of the festival, so it was like showcasing like alternative talent and like comedy and stuff with it. Whereas the Entash Festival was like classical music, dance, theatre, the more kind of quote traditional mm. aspects of art. Um, and the fringe was sort of like the outskirts of that. But nowadays, it's kind of um, kind of become one and the same, I think. But the fringe is still seen as like people still call it the fringe or the festival, you know. Even though they are kind of separate, there is a big crossover there. Um, either way, though, it's like it is just sort of the one big thing now: the festival, mm. you know. Just August is <laughs> just mm. out of the question for Edinburgh. <laughs> It's interesting that we go from gentrification to talking about this, actually, because I... I it's quite connected to things. Well, it is, absolutely, because I've, I've worked at... Well, I've worked two different fringes and then performed at one. Mm-hmm. And the thing that always gets me with the fringe is just the unregulated growth mm-hmm. associated with it. Because it's like, absolutely. if you can find a space to bung your show mm-hmm. somewhere in the wider Edinburgh area... Yeah. It, no one really cares about anything else. No. I'm, and I, oh, I'm sorry. And as long as you're able to pay everyone who who needs to get paid. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you know it's four hundred quid just to get in the program? I think I've heard that figure. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. There's just there's a lot of just there's a lot of money just tucked about. I think, and it's like the idea of like uh, you pull together a show, you come up here, usually like. Uh, rent a place like Airbnb um, which has become increasingly common nowadays as I said mm. um, and that's it you go away again and it's like you know it's fine like that is the idea of like an international festival um, but then it doesn't really need to be an Edinburgh international festival at all it could be Glasgow it could be London mm. you know in a city which can handle it better you know like where's the Edinburgh coming from mm. it's just because it's is I don't really know why everyone's drawn to it, but it's just it's 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 a beautiful city as well. I mean, but. I think there's two reasons people are drawn to it. I mean, first of all, it kind of it's one of those things that I guess becomes a victim of its own hype. Where you know there are other fringe festivals out there, but yeah. if you're a if you're a budding theatre maker, everyone is always telling you that Edinburgh is the place to be if you want to make it. So I guess there's kind of that. You know, mm-hmm. like I, the Brighton, the Brighton Fringe is just as high quality and accessible a fringe, mm-hmm. but less people go to it because you know Edinburgh is the fringe, and people want to be at the fringe if they're gonna, you know, make the effort. Yeah, I guess it just kind of snowballed. Yeah, it just it just started and then it just grew and grew and then it just became like, oh yeah, suddenly the Edinburgh is the place to go for it. It's like even those yeah. like you know, exactly. And uh, interestingly. Th- the only time I, I would say I've been to a festival that's even vaguely similar to Edinburgh is the French equivalent, which is in Avignon. Right. And um, Avignon is basically a medieval walled city. It's almost the French equivalent of York, but it's mm-hmm. basically in the south of France. And I think one of the big attractions with it, because again, it's tiny and yeah. everyone turns up there and they basically take the place over. But I think one of the attractions is... It is this enclosed space Mm -hmm. and you can come out of a show at four o'clock and make it to a show that starts at 4.10 if you plan it right. I guess that's the thing with Edinburgh, it's like, is is relatively, yeah, maybe it is because it's, 
it's very centralised mm. with the Infresso, like that's why most things are in the old town mm. it's like not that far from each other you know, you can't literally just walk to the shows but it just like it gets built up and up mm. you know there's nowhere else to go really it is insane when you think about it that yeah, Edinburgh just... is actually a relatively big place but it's basically all everything at the fringe is basically concentrated in that area between yeah, it's like two square miles <laughs> yeah between I don't know um, the station and the meadows yeah, basically. Yeah, there isn't an awful lot going on in the new town. I mean, there's like the uh, assembly on George Street. Um, maybe a couple of things here and there, but it's mainly just the old town. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like Leith is uh, kind of a part of that as well, but that's why it's sort of nice to kind of get away from all that. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It isn't like a yeah for for a thing that's called the Edinburgh Festival. It isn't even the whole of Edinburgh it's not very Edinburgh-y no um, but I can see the arguments of that as well like you know the kind of locals and the suburbs of Edinburgh they kind of don't want to be a part of that it's like you know we live here just stay away from that everyone go to city centre <laughs> yeah I mean it's interesting that I've talked to so many Edinburgh residents who basically say August I leave yeah <laughs> but there's just the argument for representation as well like is this represented in Edinburgh? Is it meant to? Or are we just literally just hosting it for other people? Who knows? I, d- I don't know. Like, I mean, again, we'll, we'll kind of get to this when we talk about Tea in the Park in a second. But I feel like, and this is also one of the reasons that I think I've started this podcast, is that for me, this idea of place is so important. Like... It, it grounds you in a culture and in an identity that even if you don't necessarily subscribe to that culture and identity, it still defines you. Yeah. You know, it still defines whether you like it or not. If you're, if you're a Geordie, mm-hmm. you almost have to have an opinion on Newcastle United mm-hmm. and on living in the tune and on all these sort of concepts and ideas and philosophies mm-hmm. that nowhere else has like it's so prevalent in the place that you almost have to have it and maybe i'm naive but i'm one of those people that also thinks that translates into things like festivals that are happening there yeah and if there's nothing about the edinburgh festival that defines it as being scottish well i kind of see that as being a bit of an issue at the same time as i appreciate all the international stuff Mm -hmm. i'm also like well if the edinburgh fringe festival has no edinburgh in it What's the point? Yeah. It is, but like, I, I don't completely talk about it negatively. It's just, it is, it is a really cool thing to happen. It's nice to see things, but it's just also not very, like, easy. You know, it's like if, uh, I've been working like the past two festivals, well, like the whole month as well. And yeah, I, that's, that's kind of my fault for like working as well, but it's not really the most accessible thing to get into. It's not a bit like you can, the whole show hoping thing. That's great if you're quite wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> Tickets are like 10 quid a pop. Exactly. It's, you know, it's very much like, if you just go on like a wee holiday and you've got like, you know, lots of disposable income, then, you know, fine. But it's not really that much you can really go about. And for most working Edinburgh people, it's just like a hassle. You know, it's like, there's lots of things to see, but there's also kind of not. You just see people walking about in like you know huge crowds and it's all like this kind of sucks yeah you know, I can't really get it to work you know yeah I mean from a from a theatre maker's perspective and again I should offer I should offer two perspectives here I should offer my perspective and then the 
perspective of the employers I had because mm-hmm. one's very positive and one's slightly less positive. So the the people I worked under when I worked at the two Edinburgh fringes I worked at, um, she was a lovely lady uh, called Rebecca Vaughan and she ran a company called Dyad Productions. And the way that Dyad Productions work for any of you that are interested in checking their work out because they're very highly acclaimed and they're very brilliant, um, they have their set. It's, it's one-woman shows. So she is the performer. She throws all her set in a car. She drives to location X where she's putting the show on. She texts early afternoon. She gets a bite to eat. She performs in the evening. She gets some rest in whatever dig she manages to find herself out. And then the next morning wakes up, checks out of her digs and drives to the next place, basically. And that, that is most like 11 months of the year. And the 12th month of the year, she's in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And this is a benefit for two reasons. One, she gets to actually stay in one place for a prolonged period of time. But B, it effectively also acts as this big trade fair because you get these festivals that are turning up and you get these venues that are turning up and they want to program her work and they can see how it is and they can see how it all fits together. And so it's, it's quite nice in that regard. And, you know, because they're able to make it work financially, it's, it's perfect for them. I think from my perspective with the kind of work I want to make, which, you know, does involve people and does involve a lot of collaborating and does involve sort of taking time and effort to put some love and proper care into it. I've said to various different people in the theatre world, and I know I'm going to regret saying this in the future because someone's going to play this back to me and I'm going to think, oh God, why did I say that on a podcast? But I think I would only bring a show to the Edinburgh Fringe if I felt certain that it was going to be a success, which you can't really be because it's Edinburgh. And even if you've got the most critically acclaimed, brilliant, everyone loves it show, you can still lose four digits doing it. There's just, there's too much. There's too much for everyone to go and see. So much competition, like, there's, like, hundreds and hundreds of pro, like, shows mm. on. You will never see every show, even if you stayed and kind of only did that for the entire month. Yeah, and that's why everyone here just kind of avoids it, I think, for, from, like, you know, my perspective, like, music, like, no one should, or no one does, put gigs on, do you know, there's just no point. No, everyone's... Nowhere is free. No, so nowhere is free. No one is free. It's just kind of like it's like a dead zone for us. You know, we just don't bother. Like we have year round to showcase what we do. The problem with that is, it, then we can't really do it on an international level quite easily. If, you, as you were saying, it's like a showcase. It's like a kind of a trade fair, which is kind of cool. And I agree with that. You know, a lot of people from around the world come to see you. You never know who you might bump into and make contacts with. But um, it's not as easy for us to kind of get into that, you know. Edinburgh Festival organisers, if you're listening, please take note. <laughs> These are two young emerging artists who want to make use of this festival and can't.
Uh, with that in mind, on the subject of depressing things to happen with festivals, what was Tea in the Park, and what effect did it have on grassroots Scottish music? I have no idea. No, uh... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is it a picnic? I'll just Google it two seconds. Uh, you know what? I've never been to Tea in the Park, but uh, I also know what it is, what it was. Rest in peace. Uh, it was Tea in the Park was a massive Scottish festival. It was uh, probably the biggest in Scotland, um, and we had it, we had a lot of um, big acts coming over and playing as well. But notably, it was also home to I think it was called the Tea Break stage. I heard about. And that was an opportunity for emerging bands and artists to, you know, as a showcase for them, like emerging Scottish bands and local artists. Um, so it was really good for things like that, um, where it wasn't just about getting big uh, famous acts from like, I've written like uh, overseas and like, you know, England and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what it's become now with Transmit, arguably, that it's sort of morphed into Transmit and Glasgow Green now. And there isn't an awful lot of representation for, like, emerging Scottish bands. I don't if any. I haven't been to, to either. You know, I'm just I'm just kind of going by what I've heard from people who have been and uh, a lot of my friends in the music scene. Um it's you've got, you've got the headlines like Stormzy, Liam Gallagher, I think last year, and there's also people like Louis Capaldi and Jerry Simon who've quite made it big locally and abroad, as you'll know. But it's uh, it's a, it's a, operating on a much kind of high level of you know money and class and like I mean that in the kind of music sense where it's like you know the kind of lower class upper class is like you get the big acts so to speak, big venues, big festivals and there's not much like there's no like the tea break stage anymore where it's like you can have a chance to play and you may get spotted, you know mm. etc. There's no if you're coming into this there's no this is what's up and coming and you can check it out. And Yeah and it'd be nice if we could have that still but you know um, it's not, not a lot of thought being put into it anymore from like the big promoters and like the powers that be, you know, they've got, we've got a lot of places like that in Glasgow and some in Edinburgh, like King Tut's is quite notable for like, once you've played there, it's all like, you get noticed to get spotted. Mm. Like, I think, I think Oasis either played, I think it was a cat house they played, but they also played King Tut's as well. And that's kind of where they got signed and stuff, you know, got like a success story and a lot of people played there. So King Tut's, King Tut's is a is a bar or a, a club or it's a venue. It's it's like a very true music venue thing. I don't think it operates as a club. It's just a place. For it's just a, very a dedicated music venue. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. In in Glasgow. Yeah, and they've got like strong connections with like Tea in the Park and like uh, DF concerts, like big promoters, um, and they showcase a lot of up and coming artists and. A lot of bands like Franz Ferdinand have kind of started in that scene, then you know, kind of goes up from there. But I'm not like a Glasgow native, so I can't really speak 
honestly about that kind of thing. I just know, like, I have a lot of respect for that kind of the scene as well. And, you know, there is a lot of, like, everyone always argues and fights between, like, Edinburgh and Glasgow, like, you know, which one's better. But, like, I do love each city equally. I hate them both equally <laughs> in the same way <laughs> on different different levels. But, yeah, I think they're both, like, great cities and they're the ones I know best, you know. Uh, I don't know Dundee, Aberdeen as, as well, so I can't speak as much about them, but I've spent a lot of time... In the central belt, so that's what I can talk about, and that's what I know best. Why? I mean, yeah, I I find this whole Edinburgh Glasgow thing quite quite funny as well. And again, that was the whole Edinburgh Glasgow relationship was going to be the next thing that I that I question about. But it's like they are forty minutes away by train. Mm-hmm. You know, an hour and an hour on a slightly slower train, an hour and a half on a bus. Um, and they are very different places, but I don't know, I've, I've always seen that as, you know, during the times I've lived in Edinburgh as two places that just very much complemented each other and, you know, didn't need to be competitive about, you know, which was necessarily better. I mean, obviously I, I have my own opinion on it, but I also view it a little bit like a marriage where it's like, you've got two very different people and they, they work together and that just kind of is the relationship that they have. I guess, I mean, yeah, I just think, you know, there's, there's no point in, like, arguing, fighting. But I don't think anyone does it. It's not, like, an official level. <laughs> it's, it's not like, there's, like... A, no one beats each other up over no, it. No, no, no. It's, it's mainly just, like, you know, just, like, just for, for banter. For banter. It's not really, like, it's not an official level. It's not, like, a rival or anything. Um, there's just, but there is a kind of, like, yeah. I, I, there's a difference between them, but, like, we do like support each other as, as cities and like we should just get along and just we come through to you you come through to us yeah we play into the cities you know and play in like the other cities and towns as well you know because it can also be like we're just it you know we are the central belt that is it mm. but you know as I said it's just I don't know as much about Dundee Aberdeen the coast and other towns you know I can't I just I haven't really played in them before. Don't really know, know much about the music scene in them as well. So but it's yeah. quite funny that the basically the fact that I mean Scotland's a nation of five million people, yeah. and they're pretty much all between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, it's it'd be, it'd be like that for a lot of places where you know it's like the places are very densely populated, and then well, look at Russia. <laughs> You know, it's like people only live in like a small part of it, and it's like a giant. You know, Is I'm it? not saying Scotland's a big wasteland, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, there is there's a big divide between like the urban and rural communities. It's like it is like kind of one or the other. Mm. But except it's like you know, places like Stirling are sort of like they're almost like it's kind of a city. But I think it's also like a town to me. It's like like Perth as well. Same with Perth. I was literally just gonna say that. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think it's. I think there's only. There's Inverness as well. Okay, five cities. I think I'd say. Uh, and it, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Inverness, and what's the fifth? Oh, Dundee. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, I think that's more or less it for like the the big cities. Um, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, no, I was just talking about the central belt, and you were yeah. you were backing up that Scotland is is not Russia and therefore not a wasteland. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I'll>, yeah. <laughs> Apologies know. to any Russians out there. No, we love your country, <laughs> and we don't think it's a wasteland. No, but like you've got most of it is like Siberia, and it's just there like is, no there, one, no one. There lives are there. large bits of it. I mean, it, it's an interesting one because like it's just land, I know. I've met so many people, particularly since I I moved back here, which was albeit you know the beginning of September. But mm. I've met a lot of people where when I talk about Scotland, they get very excited about okay. it. And uh, that's, that's nice. Part of it, part of it is one of the last questions that I've got coming for you. But part of it is also that it is just a naturally beautiful place and that there is just gorgeous mountains and streams and rivers and forests and all that sort of stuff and so i guess in a in a way yes there is this sort of wasteland element scotland in that it's not totally populated Mm -hmm. but then at the same time it shouldn't be well yeah like i think I certainly feel at peace with the balance that Scotland has, where there just there is, as you say, that urban belt, and then yeah. the rest of it is just allowed to be a, a gorgeous country. Exactly, I'm absolutely fine with that. Like, um, the music scenes can exist in like the urban centres, um, and like the traditional music can exist across the country in the rural areas. And, you know, it don't have to be like, you know, music can only exist in these big cities, obviously. But that is where the kind of main, like, urban culture is. And we shouldn't try and, like, force it into mm. anywhere else. It's like, everyone has their own music and culture and art. And, you know, we can just kind of leave that where it is and not try and force anything upon, you know, communities outside their own. Mm, you know, exactly. Leave, like, the kind of the music venues the big like clubs or whatever to like the cities mm. have you out of interest have you ever seen a play called The Cheviot the Sag and the Black Black Oil no I've heard of it though it's it's a really good for, for anyone who's a theatre person who's interested and, and has never heard of it go look it up but basically it is it is a play written by by John McGrath I thought it was John Byrne that uh, basically compares the Highland clearances to the uh, oil kind of rush mm. in the 1980s. And it's a very well-written piece. Mm. But it's also, I mean, for anyone who, you know, wants to go and do some research on this topic, it is, it is just another piece of evidence that just says, just leave that part of the world be. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're a happy, wonderful culture people up there. Just, just let them stay that way. Yeah, but it's not to say, like... Yeah, there's a balance of it. Like, not to say, like... Uh, we should just, you know, isolate them. It's not to say... We don't care. Yeah, it's not, not to say we should... <laughs> Residents of Aviemore, fuck you. <laughs> it's not to say, like, we should isolate them. It's not to say they can't come to us, obviously. They can be... Uh, we can inspire each other. Um, but... Yeah. Just... Uh, oh, there's a cat. <laughs> um, I don't really know where I'm going with that, but... Yeah, just well, you know, well, just existing in a balance. Yeah, like, I I think it's important in the context of this conversation between gentrification and not gentrification and what that means and wanting people involved but not wanting people too involved that their culture yeah, gets yeah. taken away. No, I I, I definitely it's, think it's relevant. Scotland's got a very big tourist economy and whiskey economy. Um, 
so if we didn't have people coming over that are interested, you know, where would that be? You know, like people come for the natural beauty of the Highlands, um, the whiskey and so on. Like, we we should obviously share that. Mm. But just you know, all in moderation. In moderation, and you know, just treating people with respect. You know, hundred percent. Let's just all get along, man. <laughs> <laughs> um. As we kind of mentioned, we used to be in a band. We did. Called Zeitgeist. Those were the days. Um, Shitegeist. Shitegeist. <laughs> nah, come on, we weren't that bad. We had a nice little EP. Yeah, no, it was, it was alright. But we just, uh, I, I couldn't go on after someone called it that. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh no, no. Hang on, who called it that? This is the first I'm learning about this. You don't need to know. <laughs> No, no, we're like friends, obviously. But they're just like uh, fuckers. But it's just the name. It was just... it the AVU lot? <laughs> it was, wasn't it? But as soon as you like, uh, that's the problem. Like when you come up with a name for anything, then someone just points out like what it could rhyme with, what it sounds like. You're like, oh no. <laughs> you need to like get rid of all that and be like, yeah, I know what it sounds like. I know what it rhymes with. Just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, people yeah, are immature. We made some, you know, kind of nice little. Uh, you can bright acoustic songs. You anybody know. interested can look it up. But anyway, the point that I was getting to was we recorded music. Well, specifically, we recorded one song during the independence referendum five years ago. Yeah. Um, we're we're five years down the line. Brexit is doing what Brexit is doing. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon has put in the legislation to potentially do another referendum. Yeah. What would you say has changed since? September 2014 and how would you compare the general effects on people here to the result of Brexit across the country in general it definitely feels different um, the thing is everyone that voted yes is going to vote yes again so there's no way it can be any less than a 45% yes result I would say um, I think I'd agree because I think it's only gotten worse, you know, because in 2014 it was sort of like, we were, the situation like wasn't ideal, it was still like a, the Tory um, Lib Dem coalition. Was, uh, was, was, remember was it, those yeah. days? <laughs> it was still the coalition by that point, wasn't it? Not yeah, like, it was, it was Cameron Clegg, Cameron Clegg. Oh. I'll never forget this because the, the big memory that I have is a week before the referendum a poll came out that said that yes we're winning and this yeah. freaked Westminster out yeah, and yeah. they sent the the trio the trio that is oh god Ed Miliband David Cameron Nick Clegg yep. to and I'll never forget they sent Cameron to Edinburgh they sent Miliband to Glasgow and they sent Clegg to the borders because those were all their, their various heartlands yeah. and they basically turned it round and uh, Devo Max, we're still waiting on you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because you can go talk forever about it, and like we could do a whole separate podcast on it. Yeah, I mean, people have people part two have independent special electric bigaloo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think what's changed is, you know, it's just gotten very serious. <laughs> um, before, as in 2014, it was so like Cameron Clegg, Miliband, it's so like, oh, right, let's get rid of them, you know, let's. It was like a strong positive change as well, like, you know, we can do this. But now it's almost like uh, it's like an emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the biggest thing was 
2016 how um, Scotland voted to remain and like we we're now being dragged out of the EU. I think that's that's been the biggest change. It's been like, hang on, you know what exactly? What kind of union are we part of now? You know, like we don't have a say in what like London does. We might do. I mean, it's like the SNP MPs have a a strong presence there now, but it's not exactly like we're we're still there to represent Scottish seats, Scottish constituencies. We're not there to say like how they should do things mm. in their country. Yeah. And yet we're sort of like being told what to do again. And I think people are just fed up with it. And I think there's going to be a... I don't know. I mean, you can be... It's very easy to be pessimistic about it. Like, you know, um, people voted to uh, remain in the UK in 2014, uh, voted to leave the EU. Who can say what people want? And what how the outcome will change if it will at all? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's definitely true. I, I think the interesting thing is the question that a lot of those uh, no voters during the referendum are being asked now in Scotland is, would you rather be part of an independent U, uh, an independent Scotland that was part of the European Union, yeah, or a United Kingdom that was outside the European Union and I, I know different people who are answering different ways for different reasons and some people want like an independent Scotland independent of the EU as well they want like just total our own control but I think what would work best is independent Scotland in the EU who's to say though no one really cared about the EU until like 2016 really <laughs> I mean there was the arguments and like you know is like a bit of uh, controversy with like John Major in the nineties and Tory Party was sort of divided then, going to the two thousands. But it was very like kind of low level like kind of discussion, you know, like should we join the e uh, the Euro, and but like it wasn't like a big crisis, you mm. know. We're just sort of like we're happy with how it's going, and then all of a sudden it's like nah, we want out, you know. For whatever I do reason, love your English accent, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> but I have heard arguments from people on the left as well why we should leave the EU. I think Corbyn was anti-EU as well. Still is for, for different reasons. Yeah, so it isn't quite a you know left-right matter, but it's just such a tricky time to engage with Brit- British politics in general. And yes, there's all the obvious reasons why Let's that start. is. But like for example. As soon as the news came through that Corbyn was going to back the second election, which it looks like we're going to have an election on December 9th, December 12th, so Uh, possibly by the time this goes out, we will have had said election, which is terrifying. I don't know. Um, But anyway, so hello, the future. (laughs) Tell us us what it's been. But I, I guess from where I'm sitting right now, I'm kind of having this moment where I'm thinking, okay, I want to back my my political beliefs and i think probably if i if i had to vote today and you know my mind may still get swayed over the next few weeks <coughs> i would probably vote snp and meanwhile the just generally in england and wales the tories have a very very strong lead in the polls mm-hmm. and i'm kind of thinking as a scot well as someone who's going to be voting in a scottish constituency that i'm under a very distinct amount sc- of pressure you should, yeah, you to scottish vote labour Right, yeah. You know, because what happens if it comes down to, I don't know, 
one or two seats. And what ultimately happened was that, you know, I my my interest in backing my beliefs on independent Scotland ultimately conflicts with um, my beliefs that the Tories should not be in power. You know, it's it's unfair that five million people are basically being forced into that false dilemma. It's tricky. Um, because there is, you know, it's like, do we want a Labour gov- government while we're in the United Kingdom? And then maybe it might not be as bad being in the Union. But, you know, ultimately, we, like, a lot of people do still want independent Scotland. So I don't know where that would lead to, but, like, you know... I don't if, know either. If we get a Labour government, I think quite unlikely at this stage. But We're going to look... Re- this is going to look really funny if Jeremy Corbyn is Prime Minister by the time this goes out. Well, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I'd be, no one knows. I'd be surprised, but the thing I is, know. I thought we all thought that Theresa May would win a massive majority in the last election, and then Labour I thought, shocked I, I, everyone. No, I, I thought I thought Corbyn would have swung it in twenty seventeen. Uh, that feels like ages ago. I know, now. right? Jesus. It was only two years ago. I still remember I was at a festival, it was at Eden uh, Eden Festival in Dumfries, Moffat, um, and like waking up, like coming out of a tent, and we're like one to you, like everyone was like, you know buzzing and like you know kind of like, getting a connection wherever we could to hear what the uh, results were and I was like ah oh, shit <laughs> <laughs> I um I had a brilliant moment in that election because I my flatmate and I down in London we were watching the results as they came mm-hmm. in and hearing all the results and we were quite excited because basically the Tories weren't going to get their their majority and we were quite excited about that and we were, of course, waiting for our seat to come in, which was Kensington Chelsea. And Kensington Chelsea, for those of you who aren't versed on West London geopolitics, is very just generally centre-right. Not right. far-right, but very centre-right. Very Tory voting, and that's largely because of a lot of the people who live there. But anyway, so my flatmate and I, we thought we'd be strategic. We'd vote Lib Dem. So that's because, you know, those types of people were more likely to vote Lib Dem than they were Labour. The results come in, the results come in at 7am. So we've been like sitting up watching results for a good six hours by this point. Mm-hmm. We hear the news that Kensington Chelsea has gone down to a count off basically between the Tories and Labour. And my flatmate and I, we just shit ourselves because <laughs> we're like, oh God, have we just, you know, have we just kept. Uh, Labour from like stopping the Tories majority <laughs> well, thing, and then yeah. in the end they, they counted back and Labour won that seat oh, so did they, right? just goes to show you voting is important there's I mean the system itself is like you know pretty knackered and the like, whole strategic voting thing like is my vote even going to matter if um, it's a safe S&P, Tory lived in, Labour, not lived in. <laughs> we could chat first past the post yeah. till the cows come home. I don't know. Germany, let us know how your proportional representation thing's going. <laughs> um, I have two more questions for you. Um, the first one being, what would you say the future holds for Edinburgh? I mean, we've kind of talked about it in the sense of a music context, but you're welcome to answer that in whatever context you like. I don't know, really. Um... If to say, I mean, it has been. There's been a perpetual sort of growth. Least getting more popular, Edinburgh's getting more popular as a whole. There's a festival. I just hope there is um, more attention, focus being put on the grassroots culture. Just as much 
as the high level acts and venues, you know, like there isn't even like a massive venues in Edinburgh. I'd, I'd argue there's like Murrayfield Stadium, uh, the Corn Exchange. Corn Exchange, it's all right. Um, Liquor Dreams is kind of mid level. Usher Hall, um, Leith Theatre is kind of emerging as like a is a big venues. They're kind of want to make it like Edinburgh's answer to the Barrowlands. Um, God, really? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. The thing is, the Barrowlands is just so Glasgow that I can't imagine Edinburgh. Yeah, I know, doing like, an equivalent. We have we've already, we have already seen like a couple of like quite big acts playing there, and it's worked quite well. You know, um, so I I'd be fine with that. Um, I'm supportive of that. Um, just more more of these more of these venues cropping up um, that are like supportive of like of becoming musicians and also like a more kind of mid level venues to play in. Um, I mean there's a few of them, but you know, just somewhere in between like Sneaky Pete's and Usher Hall. Mm. You know. Just some sort of yeah, no, I feel, yeah. There's quite a few. I mean, already, there's like, you know, LaBelle, uh, Summer Hall. I work at Summer Hall, so I'm kind of biased. Um, so you're quite hopeful, just generally. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite, um, quite strong, strongly opinionated, you could say, about mm-hmm. the music scene. I, I like to see it doing well. I like to see it flourishing, but in a way that kind of respects its locals and with the community in mind and yeah I think places like Summer Hall are doing quite well with that and hopefully theatre emerges as well so it isn't just like the top level like Usher Hall and all that I've got nothing against Usher Hall either it's, got, it's, it's a lovely venue as well fun yeah. fact hosted the 1972 Eurovision Song Contest did it? Mm-hmm. wow Didn't the remember. first the first to be hosted outside of London wow Wait, really? Yeah. The first to be hosted outside of London? Yeah. When did it start? Sorry, the first British one to be hosted oh, outside right. of London. I should have clarified that. So then it's been like British. And the last question I have is, I um, have come to Edinburgh for a couple of days and I want to know what the thing is to do here. Oh, well, to yeah. get the, the proper Edinburgh experience. Uh... I mean, from my perspective, I would just say go see some gigs. Um, Your recommendations on venue are. Um, I mean, a lot have been have been mentioned over the course of this podcast, but it's just it's very it's just wandering to places, you know. Um, Glasgow's good for that too, but um, that's what I'm saying. Like you know, I see them both kind of equally. Um, Edinburgh, you could uh, stay in the Cowgate. You could. Good and Leith. Uh, Grass market. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of sort of cowgate, you know, old town area. A lot, a lot of it is based. Category. A lot, yeah, a lot of it is based in like you know, the the cultures in the old town, but yeah, it's just a case of like having a wander and like going into venues and seeing what's playing, looking up online, you know. A lot actually, what I like to do is um, like. A lot of times, like suggested events will crop up on like Facebook, or just say like what's on tonight, and I'll tell you, you know, in the different venues like Mash House or Henry's or I'm going to gig tonight actually at Henry's. Oh, hello. Yeah, 
Uh, the fun never stops for Harry <laughs> Bongo. It was research, innit? <laughs> uh, and speaking yeah. of Harry Bongo, this is your opportunity to, to plug what you do. We've got a cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch your cooking show. I don't know, I made like scrambled eggs. <laughs> These are all the different things we can do with scrambled eggs. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, we were talking about Leith and that uh, there is, uh, I'm hoping to put a new single out soon called Leith Waterworld. Oh, hello. Uh, did you ever visit Leith Waterworld? You I, might, I might didn't not. visit Leith might Waterworld. Might no. be in a different time. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't get into too much. It was, uh... it was like a, it was a beautiful place in Leith. Okay. It was a, basically a swim pool. Uh... <laughs> It had flumes, it had a wave machine. It's a, it's a strong, like, nostalgic memory for, like, my generation. And apparently it was, like, it was opened in the 90s as well. Because, like, a slightly older um, guy, I know, was saying, like, you know, Leith Waterworld, I thought you were too young for that. So, I think it was, like, that was it was open again in the 90s and shut down and opened again in, like, the <laughs> mid-2000s, which is when I went. You've gotten yeah. off track, Harry. How do people find out more about your stuff? Yeah, I have a website, uh, I've got a Facebook page, Twitter, I don't know, anything, but... Harrybongo, harrybongo.com? uk. Not at all confusing, but we will put the link in the description. Harry, it has been absolutely lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much um, for having me. About Edinburgh, and listeners, thank you for listening. We will be back next week with somebody else. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Passport People. The music was by Harry Bongo, and the cover art was by Maya Pires. Learn more about us by visiting our Island Life Productions Facebook page, or by visiting our website at islandlifeproductions.com.